Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of the Classroom Matters podcast with me, your host, Christy Hull. And today I am delighted to be sitting down and talking with Cindy Burnett, who is the Director of Possibilities for Creativity and Education. Cindy has been teaching others how to be more creative for the last 20 years and is on a mission to empower educators to infuse creative thinking into every classroom in the world. She has taught deliberate creative thinking at the college level for 20 years, and her online course, Ignite Your Everyday Creativity, reached over 100,000 people. She has also written two books, Weaving Creativity into Every Strand of Your Curriculum and my personal favorite, My Sandwich is a Spaceship, (laughs) (laughs) Creative Thinking for Parents with Young Children. Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for the invitation. Yeah. So I'm so excited. So I know my listeners, the minute that I said (laughs) my sandwich is a spaceship, they're like, what, what, um, they, they're, they're going to be listening to that because that's very intriguing. It's a great um, title, um, for a book. And we're going to talk about that later in the, in the show, but I really wanted just to start with giving our listeners a little bit of background about who you are, what you do and sort of your journey to get to the work that you're doing today. Sure. So when I was a child, I was very artistic. I loved performing. And even at a very young age, I can remember being in the dance classroom, being in the dance studio. And I would feel as if my dance shoes were my conduit to my imagination, because every time I put on my dance shoes, I could do anything I wanted in my head into my body. And I remember driving in the backseat of my parents' car and I would be listening to Michael Jackson and I would be choreographing a show. I mean, even as young as like six and seven. And I choreographed my first show when I was 11. And so I loved musical theater. Um, when I when I became a teenager, I decided to study theater um, and I went to get my first degree, which was in theater and dance. And I moved to New York City after I graduated with my first degree, and I landed in my very first day in the city, a a first national Broadway tour. And so I ended up spending six months on the road with A Funny Thing Happened on the Way to the Forum, which is a Broadway musical, and had my equity card, was making great money, and I finished the tour, and I said, I don't want to do this anymore. And so I came back home to my hometown of Buffalo, New York, and I was sitting with an old voice teacher of mine, Karen Whelan, and she said to me, you know, what are you thinking about? And I said, I just don't know what I want to do with my life. And she said, well, Cindy, don't ask, what do you want to do? What do you want to learn about? And I said, I want to learn about creativity. Now, this was back in 1999. And The Artist's Way by Julia Cameron had come out a few years before, which I read and loved. And Um, when I read this book, I really loved the piece around blocks and barriers. So what helps us become creative and not creative? And up until that point, my whole life was as as an artist and as a performing artist. And so, you know, it was very intuitive and, and, you know, it was this emotional, intuitive piece of me. So um, I said, I want to study creativity. And within 24 hours of that happening, I found the oldest degree granting program in creativity in the world at SUNY Buffalo State, which is literally, you know, a couple streets away from me, a couple towns over. So I went and I contacted them and, and they said, we're actually starting classes this week. Would you like to come in as a non student and a master of science in creative studies? 
So I said, yes, this sounds amazing. You know, I had no idea what I had signed up for, but when I walked into my first day and I was, you know, I was dressed like an artist. I remember having like black leather tights on and, you know, the black jacket and leather jacket. And my hair was like really long and wild, you know, like people would stop me and say, ask me if I was like a rock star or something back then. And so I walk into this class and there's like a teacher next to me and there's a business person on the other side of me. And I'm like, um, where, where am I in the right classroom? And they're saying, yeah, yeah, this is creative studies. I'm like creative studies. They're like, this isn't the arts of creativity. This is the science of creativity. So I started my master of science and I felt really out of place, but it was a different part of creativity for me. So I was tapping into the scientific, cognitive, rational, semantic side of creativity that I didn't even know existed. And I really found so much value in learning this deliberate creative process. But when I graduated, they brought me on to start teaching with them. And that was in 2001. And I was, you know, by day I was teaching these deliberate cognitive, rational, semantic problem solving methodologies. And then at night I was choreographing, you know, men's glee clubs and high school musicals. And I was, I was still doing a lot of choreography. So it felt, you know, I was saying I am doing creativity, but it was creativity from two totally different perspectives. So I would go to the artists and I would say, you know, there's this cognitive side. Oh, no, no, no what I do is not deliberate. It's not cognitive. It's emotional. It's, it's intuitive. I'm like, oh boy. So then I go to the scientists and they'd say, oh no, we don't do that fluffy artist stuff. Right. So I have spent most of my career focused on bridging that, that challenge and the language between the artistic side of creativity and expressive side and the scientific problem solving side of creativity. And that work is what I've been doing for probably the last 15 years. And then how do we bring that into education? Mm -hmm. So I think it's interesting that you mentioned there's two different sides to creativity, right? There's the artistic side, the fluffy Mm -hmm you know, intuitive side. And then there's the scientific side of creativity. And a lot of times those two things are extremely hard for people to mesh. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that actually leads me to my next question is when, when, you know, we're talking about education and classrooms and students and teachers at a K-12 level or even a homeschool environment, how do you define creativity and how does that usually differ from what people see it as? You know, I think people have the, the word creativity in their mind and they think they know what that means, mm-hmm. but, but how do you get people to see the two different sides of that? That's a great question. So let me just start with a standard definition of creativity has the, is the generation of novel or new and useful ideas. Now, when I work with educators, I talk about appropriate because we want our students to be generating new ideas that are also appropriate. How does that land in education is what I've been working on and that bridge between the science and the arts. And what I've uncovered is that there are a whole set of skills that E. Paul Torrance, who was known as the father of creativity and education, had developed over the course of his lifetime. And E. Paul Torrance's skills are known as the leap skills or beyonder skills. And these beyonder skills he's uncovered as part of a longitudinal study that looks at highly creative individuals. So when you start to look at these skills, you start to see things like being open, being open-minded, being being a risk-taker, being able to generate lots of ideas, being original, 
producing lots of ideas. So in the so the way I frame it for teachers is imagine you want to become a good swimmer. You don't say, well, if you want to be a good swimmer, you you just need to do one thing. There's lots of things you need to learn, right? There, you need to learn how to kick. You need to learn how to breathe. You need to learn how to dive and turn and, you know, all of these different you know, upper body movements. And the same is true with the creative person because it's not just about one thing. It's about curiosity and wonder. It's about playfulness and humor. It's about using our bodies in different ways and using music in the classroom. It's about taking risks and being able to tolerate ambiguity and complexity. So you start to look at all these different skills and you see these skills as the bridge between the arts and sciences, because you imagine a skill like curiosity in the sciences. And if you're teaching that in the sciences, that's also going to transfer over to the expressive side of creativity and being curious in the way that you express yourself. Does that make sense? It does. It does. And so how do you teach that to someone? Or can you teach that to someone? Because, you know, as, as a teacher, if you're teaching third grade and, you know, kids generally, you know, before COVID, I don't know if they necessarily do as much now. And that was something you and I were discussing, you know, before we started recording was the lack of uh, opportunities for students in schools right now because of COVID. But, you know, my kids went to, when I was teaching third grade, my, my students went to music, they went to art, they went to all of these these classes that taught that. So I didn't really feel like I needed to, I was kind of scared of it too. I'll be honest with you. And I'm sure you get that a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I was sort of scared of it and I didn't know if I could ever learn how to not only be creative, but how to teach that to others. So talk a little bit about how easy or difficult it is to learn how to be creative. It's actually really easy when you break it down to these underlying skills and traits that I mentioned earlier. And I'll send you a link to a sheet with 20 skills and you can download this from our website. It's free. It shows all the skills. We also have little characters that have been designed by children's book author, Barney Salzberg, because he's worked with me on a lot of the stuff. We also have a lot of warmups that you can do on our YouTube station, which is called Creativity, where you can watch these videos that will give you some simple warmups you can do in the classroom or at home. In fact, during COVID, a lot of parents um, were having their children do some of these activities with grandparents because it was just a playful and fun way for them to connect. But if you look at, let's just take a skill like curiosity, okay? Can we teach kids to be more curious, which is one of the skills around being a creative person? So I'm going to ask you a question, Christy. Are you ready? Oh, yes. I'm showing you an item. What is it? A pencil. It is a pencil. How long have you been using pencils for? 40 plus years. 40 plus years, me too. So if I were going to ask you to generate a list of as many questions you could about a pencil, could you do it? Sure. How many questions do you think you could come up with? Probably 15 to 20. 15 to 20. That's pretty average. Yeah. Which is, you know, what I would, that's not saying that you're average. I'm just saying that's what an average person can come up with in three minutes, 20 questions about a pencil, but we've been using them for 40, 40 years. Right. So how is it that we could come up with 20 questions about something as simple as a pencil. Now let's transfer that to what students are learning in class. So everything that I do in my own work around weaving creativity is all about incremental changes. So instead of having students read, you know, I I see, I have two children of my own, you know, they come home with this homework and it's read this passage, answer these questions, right? Standard homework. Okay, so instead of having them answer these questions, what I want you to do is generate a list of 20 questions that you didn't understand about that particular lesson, 
right? So instead of having them generate the answers, you're having them generate the questions. And then you start with those conversations around the questions they have around the content. So that's one simple way right? That you can bring in curiosity into your classroom. One of the things I love to do around that same assignment is to give them, give your students 20 post-its and say, come back with 20 questions about what we just learned, what your, what your homework is. And then when they come in, you have them post them on the wall. And as you enter the classroom and you start the discussion, you've, you don't have to ask students, what questions did you have? They've already generated them and mm-hmm. they're all over your classroom wall. Like what a great way to encourage curiosity, mm-hmm. right? So there are just many, many simple things, probably things that teachers that are listening, if you're listening and you're a good teacher and you're listening to improve yourself, you're doing a lot already in the classroom. And that's one of the things I love about people. When I, when I watch teachers open up and I have a new book that just came out, which is called 20 lessons to weave creative thinking into your curriculum. But what happens when people go through my books is they say, I'm already doing this. There's, I'm, I'm already doing this one. Oh, I've done this before, you know, and that's one of the joys of watching them. I'm like, yeah, that's because all of these ideas came from other teachers and workshops I've done with them. And there are things that you are doing that are creative. If you're good, if, you, if you're doing great work as an educator, you're doing creative things naturally, mm-hmm. but it's about making it explicit in your classroom. So today, kids, I want you to get curious. Okay. So I want you to take out your pencils and we're going to generate some questions around the pencil. And then we're going to go to the content and we're going to look at some content. And I want you to get curious about your content. So celebrating the different skills that are surrounding that creative person. Mm -hmm. And I think what's so important about the work that you're doing really is sort of wrapped up in a lot of things that you just said. And the fact that if people are listening, they're like, oh, I never thought about that is because you are providing tools and resources and strategies and ideas based around things that folks feel comfortable doing and not so far out of the norm. Because do you get a sense from folks that you work with and that you talk to that there is a fear around the word, you know, I'm doing air quotes. I know nobody can see me right now, but creativity in the classroom, does that seem to like strike fear? (laughs) It's like math, right? (laughs) Math and creativity. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Christy. And it's funny because just uh, two weeks ago, I was doing a workshop for 70 educators. And at the start of the workshop, I asked them, you know, how many of you consider yourselves creative? And about half of them raised their hands which is, which is again, typical, you know, I would expect half of them would raise their hands. And I said, okay, let me phrase this a different way. How many of you have been faced with a challenge in the last week inside of your classroom where you had to come up with a new idea or solution that you couldn't just Google the answer or that you just couldn't turn turn to a teammate and say, what should I do about this? That you had to invent a new idea or solution. And then all of their hands, of course, were raised. You know, I've only had one person who said that's never happened to me. Almost every time I've asked that question to educators, they say, yeah, that that's all I do is try to invent ideas because, you know, as educators, you don't thrive unless you problem solve, unless you think of new ideas, because if, you know, you have a student who's got a challenge and you're trying to work through the challenge with that student, that is being creative. You're just being, you know, if we look at it from the scientific perspective, you're being a good creative problem solver, Mm -hmm. you know, and many people don't look at, at themselves as creative because they're not artistic. And one of the things I am constantly trying to break down is you don't have to be artistic to be creative. 
that if you are able to come up with new ideas for anything that you do, then you are being creative. Mm-hmm. And that's really the difference, right? It's not the same as being artistic. And I, I think that's where a lot of teachers and parents get nervous when they hear that word. And, you know, it's, I love the example that you just provided because I also want listeners to know that what you do and what you teach is not just around certain disciplines, but it can really be applied to all areas of the school day. And so, for example, my son was in tutor and I'm thinking about math right now because my son is struggling a little bit in his math course. And so he's doing some outside tutoring. And I watched last night as this amazing tutor had to figure out a way to explain to him that both sides of the equation had to be equal Mm -hmm. and she just was not getting through to him. And so (laughs) she gets up and she's, she's thinking to herself and here's where the creativity came in and she probably didn't even realize she was doing it. She got up and she came back and she had a bag of peanut M&Ms, a bottle of glue, Mm -hmm. a a pencil or a pen and a post-it with an equal sign on it, where she was, was layering Mm -hmm. each side of the equal sign with different amounts of M&Ms, a a pencil on this side, a thing (laughs) of glue on this side, right? That was creativity. Absolutely. You had to get really creative really quickly. And so being an educator, like you said, is just, is, is being creative to begin with because you're constantly problem solving. Um, But I want to talk a little bit about the creativity and the, the problem solving that folks have had to do over the last year and a half, two years with COVID going from, you know, normal brick and mortar schools, everyone's at school every day to, we don't know what we're doing. We have to problem solve. So have you seen a rise in folks really coming to you and needing or wanting assistance with this? Because COVID has really gotten rid of a lot of our, what we would call quote unquote, creative learning opportunities. I think actually this pandemic has unfortunately in many ways put us back um, in terms of creativity. And the reason is if you think about our school systems, you walk into classrooms, students are sitting in rows, facing forward, listening to the teacher talk. And there's, there's no real, there's not a lot of interaction because of, of the pandemic and because there's mask wearing and they have to keep the students away from each other. So it takes a different level of creativity to be able to tackle that, to say, how might I do this in in a different way? Or how might I engage the students in a different way? Or how might I get them um, working together, but not actually physically together? So there has been so much creativity, especially when we went distance. I mean, I I read a statistic and I don't know if this is true, but 50% of teachers had never that, you know, had to teach online, had never taught a course online. So you take all these teachers and all of a sudden they're thrown online you have to be inventive in that way. But in terms of creative teaching and learning, I think teachers are one, they're completely burned out. It, it, it's very challenging trying to teach with a mask on as I am aware, because I've been going into classrooms and working with students and it's, you know, it, it's exhausting. And so to say, well, I want to think through and change something or do something different it takes a lot of extra effort. And I don't know, and I understand that a lot of teachers don't have that kind of capacity at this time. But I always say, I'm here for you if you need anything. In fact, one of my goals for 2022 is to do lesson makeovers and to do, I have the YouTube station I mentioned, Creativity, where I would bring on an educator and say, let's take a lesson you really don't like and let's do a makeover and let's infuse a creative thinking skill in and let's make it really fun and let's build the the materials and let's make those accessible to everyone. Mm -hmm. So that's something I'll be doing in 2022. Mm -hmm. So what are some things that, that you're doing out of your um, possibilities for creativity and education? What kind of resources um, are folks going to find when they visit you there? 
Well, we have been building, 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 and most of these resources are available for free. So um, we have a whole course on creative problem solving that's animated. So when we hit the pandemic, we actually had that course that we were going to launch um, for a cost. And we decided just to put it all up on YouTube so that teachers could use it for free. So if you want to teach some of the principles of creative problem solving, that's available for free. Um, we have the YouTube station I mentioned with Barney Salzberg. Each of those 20 creative thinking skills, Barney and I have done a warm up activity that teachers can use. And it's great. It's just great fun. You know, it's, it's different little activities you could do either online, you could do it in person, you can be, you could have masks on. Um, one of the activities was imagine you sneeze in your mask and what does it look like? And, and then fold your, you know, fold your paper up like that. Now take it out. And what is, you know, draw a picture based on what you're seeing. So it's all about like just inventive thinking and playfulness and, and we, um, I have the books and you can download a lot of the chapters for the books. And I always promise teachers, I'm like, if for some reason you're in a financial strait, just email me and say, can I have a, a PDF? And I'll, I'll find a way to get it to you. Because uh, one of my goals in doing this work is to help any teacher that comes to me and says, I really want these resources. I want to make a difference in my classroom that I make those available in any capacity I can mm-hmm. while still surviving, you know? <laughs> And how do you support teachers? You know, because I know a, a big conversation around the world of, of doing more creative things with your students in the classroom is the ability to measure a student's creativity and that that can be a problem because, you know, I remember when I was younger in art class, I was so scared that my art piece wasn't going to look like anything like the example on the board. And that always made me a little less um, excited, right, to do it because I knew that I wasn't going to be graded according to what I produce, just more according to if it looked the same. So talk a little bit about the ability to measure creativity and what that should really look like um, as an educator. That is a fantastic question, Christy. And I think that it's a very challenging one for teachers because they feel like if it can't be assessed, then what's the purpose, right? Mm -hmm. And that's the unfortunate piece of the assessment piece. However, if you have a a rubric that says, I want this to be novel, or I want this, is this new to you? Or is this useful to you? And you even just put those two pieces in, that's a starting place. So is this new to you? Is this useful? Um, The other piece is to have students self-assess. So one of the things that I always found interesting when I've had students grade their own work is the reflection piece. So I believe I deserve this grade because of this. And you can do a pre and post, you know, pre, here's what I'm hoping to do and hoping to achieve. My post is this. So how much effort did you expect to put in? How much were you motivated by a project? What was the outcome? What did the outcome look like? Is it aesthetically pleasing? Was it supposed to be aesthetically pleasing? Because that is the thing about creativity is, especially if you're giving students choice to create something. And actually we just had a blog post on choice. One of my contributors wrote a blog post on giving students choice and and what happens when you give students this opportunity to select what they want to create, right? Is how do you then, how do you assess it? And a lot of that can come from Mm self-reflection because there's so much beauty in being able to look at something and, you know, you put your work, work of art up there or, you know, I put my invention over here. How do I know that this was my best work? And I can tell you from experience in doing this with lots of students, they always grade themselves worse than I would have graded them. <laughs> yeah. 
you know, and, and then if I, if I don't agree with their assessment of their work, then we talk about that because otherwise if you're grading people and, you know, I'll never forget that my son received a, a really low grade on a diorama, you know, it was like a 50 something, you know, and I'm like, okay, you know, he's like fourth grade right? Just, did he really need to get a 50 on a diorama? Cause that kind of stuff can stain you for life. Like that, that makes people say, I'm not creative, shuts down the whole conversation. So instead of that to say, all right, let's look at what were you supposed to do? What was it supposed to look like? How can you create that? Where did you fall short? Did you put the effort in? What resources should you have used? Like really using that metacognition to reflect and and think about how to make it better is going to be a hundred times more beneficial than the educator looking at it and giving it a grade based on what they see, because they're only seeing the actual outcome Mm -hmm. when the, when the actual purpose of these, this type of work is in the process. Yeah. And I think too, along with that, with that's a great example of putting more emphasis on, you know, grading the content and what you actually wanted the student to master the knowledge and the creativity, not being a part of that grade, because it really is, you're right. It really does set kids up. I believe for failure sometimes when they just feel defeated and then they're embarrassed and they don't really feel creative because you want the, you want children to enjoy the process. Yes. And, and if they're not enjoying the process and they're just trying to get it to look like everybody else's, there's no creativity in that any longer. And it's just, they're doing it because it was an assignment and they're trying to get a good grade and the creativity is whoop right out the window. Yep. We, we could solve all the problems of the world, Cindy, couldn't we? I definitely think so. I think we could. <laughs> okay. So um, I want to wrap up <laughs> um, really quickly, but I want to give listeners an idea too about your books and what they're going to find when they get done listening to this podcast and they type into Amazon, the titles of your two books, and they're going to figure, you know, they want to know what they're going to be, what they're going to be looking at. So your first book, weaving creativity into every strand of your curriculum, we kind of touched on some of that right now. Mm-hmm. And my sandwich is a spaceship. So what are, what are our listeners going to see um, and get when they look at those two books? Well, let me start with weaving. So weaving came out of a number. I, I ran dozens of workshops with educators on ways they were integrating these different creative thinking skills into their classroom. And that book is a compilation of all of those ideas from educators. And then I brought in 30 experts that are trained in creativity and are educators in different fields and different age levels. And they gave me ideas to support each of those as well. So they they gave some of the builds. Now, what was interesting is after I came out with that book and I started doing workshops on weaving, then people came to me and said, okay, can you give me a script? I'm like, oh, this, this, this script piece sort of went against every grain in my bone. However, it kept coming up. So I, I thought, how might I? And what I did is I worked together with Lola Schnapp, who is one of my former graduate students and a teacher in Chile. And we created the 20 Lessons to Weave Creative Thinking into Your Curriculum, which is the second book of the series. And that book takes each of the skills and it gives you a full template lesson on how to heighten anticipation, how to deepen expectations, and how to extend the learning in each of those creative thinking skills. So you know, you could take a lesson that you're using and use that as inspiration for what you're doing. So those are those those two books and they're meant for K through 12 educators. So My Sandwich is a Spaceship came when my children were young. And I think there were three and five when I actually published the book. And it came because people typically think of early childhood as being highly creative for children. And it absolutely is. 
Okay. And I tell a story about, you know, my child putting together oranges and ketchup and thinking that was delicious. Right. And, and at the same time, he wouldn't eat any mozzarella or pizza. He would just, you know, have all these weird concoctions he would put together. But what can happen at that early age is that we start to give them templates. So I'll give you an example of that. Um, we were at the library and the librarian was having my children draw uh, sheep and they had little puffs of cotton balls that you put on the sheep. And when my son finished, the librarian came over to me and said, don't worry, we'll fix it later. And I'm like, fix it later. What do you mean? Fix it. It's fine. He's, you know, three. And there's so many things that can happen in early childhood that can pave the way for our children to be more curious, more open-minded, able to come up with lots of ideas or not. And so what my sandwich is a spaceship is about is sort of my own mom journey, along with one of my very close colleagues and friends who also um, is in the creativity field, where we talk about what does it mean to raise creative children and how do we raise creative children and what are some things that we can do to support their creativity. And so that's where that book came out. Funny story that when my kids were like primary school age, I think my son was in fourth grade. I actually found a sandwich in the washing machine, a full ham sandwich in the washing machine in a plastic bag. And it was done. Like the washing machine was done. I opened it up and I was like, James, what's the ham sandwich. He goes, Oh mom, I must've left it in my pocket. So I said, if I'm going to write a primary book, it was going to be, I found a sandwich in my washing machine, <laughs> creative thinking for parents with school-aged children. So um, that's where that book came from. So wh- why did he have the sandwich in his pocket? See, that's, that would have been my next question. <laughs> no idea. I think right? it was from like a camp lunch or something. <laughs> oh my goodness. So Tell um, our listeners as we wrap up where they can find you to get in touch. Website, Facebook, LinkedIn, Instagram, all those good things. So if you just type in creativity and education, um, dot com. You will find our website. You also find my contact information. I'm always happy to connect. I'm also really interested in hearing from educators in terms of what they need right now. Like what's stopping you from bringing creativity into the classroom other than just being exhausted, which I do understand, as I mentioned. But if there's things that you would like as your as a listener that you're looking for certain materials, please let me know. We are constantly building based on what we're hearing. So if you say to me, you know what we could really use? is this, then I will definitely look into potentially building it or finding a team that will build it. Um, Because that is my goal in creativity and education is to build out those possibilities for teachers and parents. I also have a Fueling Creativity podcast where my co-host and I, my co-host, Matt Warwood, who is a, uh, he has dads for creativity. Um, he, He and I, we interview scholars in the field of creativity research And we interview educators and practitioners and our sole focus is, so how do we actually bring this into the classroom? And we have a creativity YouTube station and you can find that on our website as well with Barney Salzberg. And I think that's it. Okay. That's, that's great. And so all of our listeners, as usual, we will have all of Cindy's information and links and, and ways you can purchase her item, her books and find her um, on the description page. So Cindy, thank you so much for taking the time to be here um, today. It was a great conversation and I'm, I'm just so impressed with the work that you're doing to keep creativity in the classroom. So thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me, Christy. And I really appreciate the work you're doing as well. 
And this is Christy Hull signing off for this episode of Classroom Matters. <laughs>